0: Books presents Entrepreneur RX with Dr. John Schuvelt, helping healthcare professionals own their future.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Entrepreneur RX. We're your host John Schuvelt, and today I'm really excited to speak with Dr. Charles Stewart, president and CEO of Tracon a biopharmaceutical company that develops targeted therapies for cancer. Wait to hear about this, but Charles has had an absolutely rock star career. While working as a director of clinical oncology at Pfizer, he was instrumental in bringing groundbreaking oncology drugs to the market. He is also the author of Unnecessary Expense, an antidote to the billion dollar drug problem. And this is near and dear to my heart. So Charles, welcome to the podcast.
0: John, so great to meet you. Great to be here.
1: Thank you so much. Okay. So I want to chat with you about this book because I'm all about AI and all about lowering the drug development cost uh, because, as no one knows more than you probably, but it's into the, into the billions of dollars. But before we do that, tell me about your career. You know, start with college and, and how you ended up where you ended up.
0: Sure, John. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, so I was uh, at college at MIT and I focused on molecular biology. I've always had a, a strong inkling and, and fascination with with cancer and how cancer develops and that translated into ways to approach treatment of cancer, but my undergraduate career was mainly focused on understanding molecular pathways that contribute to cancer development. And then from there, I went to medical school at uh, UC San Francisco. During medical school, I focused on you know the broad education that a doctor typically receives, but also uh, was interestingly exposed to another aspect of medicine that was a little bit unexpected because as I was in San Francisco for med school, it was right at the time of the AIDS epidemic. And so I was able to see really from ground zero how a community dealt with AIDS and and actually made an impact in in that field as well.
1: So now, I mean, given where you are today, it would seem obvious that you would have done internal medicine oncology, but you went to general surgery. How How did that pan out?
0: yeah it's it's funny how life works so I, I was working uh in in the aids clinic and in the tuberculosis clinic trying to understand how how aids was affecting the uh increased prevalence of tuberculosis and thought as you indicate about an infectious disease career following initial training in internal medicine what changed everything for me was i did a surgery rotation at san francisco general hospital which is the hospital that handles all the major trauma cases in san francisco and i was on call with the team one night and a young person came in, they, they were shot in the leg, bleeding profusely and took them straight to the operating room. A great set of surgeons operate on that patient, fixed the bleeding blood vessel. And this is a young man who two days later looked great and was like, when do I go home? And I just was incredibly impressed by the definitive nature of surgical intervention and how it can just totally transform a life within a you know, two or three hour period of time. And I guess I wanted a piece of that. You know, internal medicine to me was, was very satisfying and, you know, I felt as a doctor I could prescribe drugs to people. But it seemed like by being in surgery, we opened up this entire other door to treatment options for patients that could be so definitive and so life-changing that I wanted to, to access those tools and have that satisfaction. So I changed really the, the trajectory of my career by, by focusing then on surgery and training formally in surgery at, at Harbor UCLA Medical Center and then uh, being in practice in surgery for many years thereafter.
1: Now, did you focus on,
0: on oncologic surgery? I initially focused mainly on, on trauma surgery and, and more of the bread and butter surgical procedures like hernia repair, appendectomy, gallbladder removal, removing the colon in cases of cancer though, for example. But I think because I, I learned about cancer pathways early in my career, I, I was always drawn toward cancer surgery as as a main focal point in terms of further career development. So. Once I had finished my surgery residency, when I joined the faculty at the University of California, Irvine, I focused at that point on surgical oncology, which is basically cancer surgery thereafter. And then when, what was your PhD in? So I was in surgery, a faculty member at, at, at UC Irvine, and um, I was very interested also in, in, in research about how different people's demographics influences the cancers they get and, and how frequently that happens that's really the epidemiology of cancer, which kind of played off the epidemiology of, of of AIDS infection that I'd learned a little bit about when I was in medical school. You know, in particular, what what I was noticing was in my practice, I was treating a lot of colon cancer patients. And interestingly, I was treating some young patients with colon cancer, which you would think is quite unusual. Colon cancer generally is a, a a disease of the elderly, but I especially had some young black patients that had colon cancer. And it was very emblematic of, of a general trend. Uh, for example, if you follow baseball, Daryl Strawberry, the, the Mets and Yankees outfielders, he had colon cancer before age 40 at a very young age. Uh, another example is unfortunately, the, the actor, Chad Bozeman who um, just passed away uh, of colon cancer also developed it before age 40. Black Panther. Yeah, exactly. Black Panther. No, such a great actor, a great humanitarian. Unfortunately, he developed colon cancer before age 40. And the reason that's such such a sad kind of event is that, you know, we screen for colon cancer in this country very effectively, but we screen generally at age 50. If you're going to develop it at, say, age 40, you're never going to get to the point where you detect it at a curable stage through our standard reading practices. So I really was interested in this dynamic, and I began to look at epidemiology of cancer and how it presents in different races at different ages. And it sparked me to do a PhD in epidemiology to get the formal training I needed to really thoroughly explore the field.
1: Wow. I mean, it's incredibly prescient of you. Okay. So so now fast forward you are a general surgeon, you, you did it for, I mean, just if I do my math right, you know, 25 years or so. And when did you start TRACON? I mean, because it seems like such a left turn or right turn from Mm -hmm. being a general surgeon.
0: It sure is, John. I mean, there aren't that many people in biotech that actually are formally trained surgeons. For me, I enjoyed surgery. So there's very few careers that give you that kind of immediate gratification. I mean, you you go to the operating room, you say you remove a colon cancer that's early stage. I mean, that in many cases is a curative operation. Similarly for breast cancer, most of the times you operate for breast cancer, that's a curative operation. So you're basically able to tell a patient Um, I think we can cure your cancer and then do the operation and everything is as planned. And you can say at the end of the operation, it's very likely your cancer is cured. I mean, that's a a very gratifying event and and a very gratifying way to interact with a person. I I think for me, I always wanted to make an impact maybe on a more global scale than just say the individual one-on-one patient interaction. And that's why I did a lot of research to, um, for instance, picking up on our colon cancer theme, I was very involved in Trying to revise guidelines to screen, for instance, black men earlier than age 50, so we could detect some of those cancers that might kill them at an earlier stage when, when they would be curable. And I think when I look at drug development, what I saw was that if you can make an impact in drug development, approve a drug that really transforms the standard of care for for a patient population, you know that can have a global impact. And so. I was given the opportunity to join a drug development company called IDEC Pharmaceuticals that was doing just that. They were developing medicines that really revolutionized how certain cancers were treated. And I wanted to be part of that. And so it was a tough decision to be clear, but I decided to change the trajectory of my career, if you will, and joined uh, IDEC and, and gave up my surgery practice, which as satisfying as it was, you know, wasn't giving me the, the potential for global impact that I really wanted and thought I could achieve through joining a biotech company
1: that is amazingly courageous there was an, two other surgeons that we've had on this podcast that both gave up one was a CT surgeon one was a general surgeon who literally did the same thing they walked away from something that they clearly loved to do with the hope of having a bigger impact on more people so hey hats off to you that's huge balls gotta say. I mean, it's a podcast. We'd say anything we want. So, okay. So Tracon is curbing drug development costs while incentivizing innovation. So when did you start that?
0: So I've been at Tracon for 15 years, since 2006. And I'd had some great drug development experiences earlier with some other companies. I mentioned IDEC. That was the first company I joined. and, And that company brought the world Rituxan, which is a a drug that just changed how lymphoma is treated in in the world, Benefit from that experience. Yeah, I then moved to Pfizer where I was involved intimately, as you noted earlier, with the development of Sutent, which is a drug that just changed the, the care of kidney cancer patients in the world. So I had some great experiences, both at biotech and big pharma, developing drugs that became successful and also really changed the practice patterns for those patients. The one thing we realized, though, at those companies was The typical paradigm for drug development is that the the companies discover the drug, but they don't necessarily develop it with their own internal teams. And so most pharmaceutical companies, when they execute clinical trials, will outsource the execution of those trials to a, a CRO or contract research organization. So they pay another company to actually execute the trials of their drug. And I was exposed to that, for instance, at Pfizer and saw it repeatedly being done by most companies in our business and realized it wasn't an optimal model for drug development. And so when we came to TRACON, and I really formed the company in conjunction with one of our key senior leaders, Bonnie Adams, we realized that we could actually develop drugs in a better way. And that became what we call the TRACON product development platform. What we're trying to address, John, is is the fact that the CRO model is not aligned with optimal results, if you will, cost-effective development. In our book, Unnecessary Expense, we we use the analogy that if your car mechanic was a CRO, here's how it would work. You'd go in for a simple repair on your car, but you would be paying the car mechanic in two ways. One, you'd be paying them fee for service, but you would also be paying them, regardless of what they do, a guaranteed payment every day they store your car. Now, in reality, a car mechanic doesn't work that way, and frankly, maybe no other business should work that way. However, That's exactly the way CROs work when they interact with drug companies. So in other words, they're incentivized to create fees through any service they can manufacture. But if they literally do no work, you nevertheless pay them a monthly project management fee. What this creates, in our opinion, is an unaligned drug development model between the pharmaceutical company and the CRO, such that the CRO has very little incentive to do a trial quickly. They have very little incentive to do a trial at low cost because their whole profit center is actually executing the trial. And sometimes the quality can also suffer. That in our view is one of the main reasons it costs so much money to develop a drug. As we point out in the book, the average cost to approve a single drug in this country is $2 billion. Think about that. There are two things that influence that. One is the high cost of clinical trials, mainly because they're outsourced to CROs. Second is that most drugs do fail. But if you take all the successes, all the failures, take all the money that goes into approving a single drug, it's $2 billion. Now, in that background, we have internalized all the clinical trial execution functions that typically are outsourced to a clinical CRO. And by doing that, we're able to do three important things. We shorten the clinical trial time, we significantly lower the cost, and we also feel we significantly increase the quality. And that, in and of itself, can significantly decrease the overall cost of approving a new drug. it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, as I understand it,
1: many drug companies will go through the early phase drug trials and then hope to sell the drug to somebody
0: who can afford
1: to basically bring it to market.
0: Is that, is that true? That's still absolutely true, um, John. But even those companies will typically outsource their trials to, to a CRO. And, and what they're, in effect, doing is, is they're paying their own team to watch, or police, I call it a CRO, that they then pay to actually execute the trial. So they're kind of double paying. They're paying their team to please the CRO who they're then paying the CRO personnel to execute the trial. And then that CRO execution is really not incentivized to do the trial in the way the pharmaceutical company wants, which is quickly and, and at low cost. So even if a company's playing for the sell, like, like you're implying, that they want to do maybe a phase one trial, phase two trial, and then sell the drug to a big pharma company to do the phase three trial and commercialize, each part of that process, phase one, phase two, phase three, if executed to a CRO, in our view, means the cost is higher than it could be, the timeline's longer than it should be, and then there's always the issue, is the quality such that it's sufficient for FDA approval?
1: So is your way, and we'll talk about your book in a, in a second, but just on an overview, is your way around this $2 billion price tag the brain drug to market to become your own CRO, in other words, not to outsource it?
0: Our view is that, John, is, is to become a company that's, if you will, not beholden to a CRO that has all the same functionality internally that most companies only are able to find in a CRO and then we like to leverage that in a a way that creates alignment between us and our business partners and we do that in the following way. We say to our business partners the way to create alignment isn't to make a profit off you based on us conducting the trial. We say to our partners the way to create alignment is that we both share the profit once the drug's approved. So the difference there is now our partner and us both want to do the trials quickly We want to do it at low cost because we're paying our own money at TRACON to do the trial in the US. And we want to do it at high quality because if the trial is done at poor quality, that drug would never be approved. The FDA would reject the application. So if we have an aligned structure through this profit split model whereby we both share the profits only upon approval, both us and our partner both want to see the same things happen. Fast trial, low cost trial, high quality trial, and then we split the profits. After approval, to create alignment, that's different than when a pharmaceutical company outsources their trial to a CRO who's trying to make a profit based on just executing the trial, and that's why there's no alignment to do it fast, at low cost, or at high quality.
1: Right. If they're, you know, if they're, if their margin has to, they're publicly traded or what have you. Their margin is going to want to be 15 to 25 percent. So you're right. That's going to whack off that number just right out of the gate. So let me, let me talk about the business model here, because this yep. is really interesting. So, you know, when I talk to most physician entrepreneurs, they swing for the fences and want to start a practice, they want to do a device, they want to do something that they can bootstrap. You swung for the parking lot because you have to be incredibly well funded out of the gate to pull this off. How did you do that?
0: You know, I, th- I think it was it was Will and, and and the quality of people we have at Tracon. Fortunately, we had people at Tracon who had been at companies like IDEC that actually did internal operations. So we knew how to do it and see it done the right way. And I think the other thing we, we just realized is it's costly, but if you do invest the money up front to bring in those systems in-house, you end up saving so much money on the back end, it, it becomes such a satisfying proposition so you need the people but fortunately we started tracon with the people that knew how to implement their own trials with their own expertise and then bringing in the systems did cost money but once those systems were in place it becomes marginal extra expense just to run the trial and we actually run the trials at half the cost of a cro so we right now are just making or saving money hand over foot compared to if we had never done this and we were running trial after trial with a CRO. And that's, in the end, the, the huge advantage for us. It's become a, an incredible cost-saving center for us because when you run trials at a third or half the cost of, of what most companies pay to a CRO, it basically means you can run two to three trials for the cost of them running one. And that just becomes an incredible value proposition and and and, and something you can then monetize through business development activities.
1: So if you take 2 billion as your average
0: Mm -hmm.
1: drug, to you know, idea to market price, and that's, that's not the marketing, that's not all the sales you have to do. What can you get that, just on average, what do you think you can, using Tracon's technique, what can you get that price tag to?
0: So, so this is going to sound maybe preposterous, but we actually feel we can potentially bring a drug to the approval process for one, one hundredth of that cost for $20 million. And it, Reflects two things. It reflects the model, the product development platform at Tracon, whereby we're zero independent, but it also reflects our business practice, which we call harnessing global innovation. And let me talk a little bit about harnessing global innovation. You know, if you looked at, at the drug development market, say, 20, 30 years ago, you know, almost every key advance in drug development was made in the US. Europe definitely contributed to that to some degree, but almost all the key new drugs were discovered in, in the West. Now it's much more of a global universe and more and more drugs are now being discovered outside the U.S., for instance, in Asia. And the two countries particularly that are influential there are Japan and China. And as an example, you know, the drug Opdivo that you see advertised on TV all the time, one of these checkpoint inhibitors that reactivates the patient's immune system to attack their tumor, the actual technology for that drug was discovered in Japan. And what we've realized is there's great new drug development going on in Japan and also in China. And in many cases, what happens is the drug is developed for approval in that region. For instance, a drug may be developed for approval in China, but really hasn't been thoroughly studied in the US. So that if you harness that global innovation, if you harness the fact that there may be a drug that's already being considered for approval in China, that's already been tested in multiple patients, already been manufactured at commercial scale, If you partner with that company and then run a single trial in the u.s leverage all their manufacturing experience of your partner all the clinical trial data of your partner you may be able to just do one simple trial for say a price tag of 20 million dollars to get that drug approved and that's really doing two things it's harnessing the global innovation of a partner and also then leveraging the tracon product development platform of cro independent research to do the trial quickly and at low cost. So by combining those two elements, you potentially can approve a drug for one 100th, the typical price tag.
1: Wow. Yeah. So yeah, that you're, you're right. That's a jaw dropper. So I invested in the company a while back called Cytoreason and Cytoreason is using AI to reduce drug discovery because they mm-hmm. simulate disease processes and then go in and basically simulated drug, as I understand it, used for cancer, simulated drug's response to this disease process, all AI-driven. First off, what do you think about that? And if you say it sucks, I'm going to be disappointed because I invested in it. But, but just be, be brutally honest.
0: No, John, I appreciate it. No, I'm a big fan of, of pr- approaches of using AI to optimize drug development. And, and, and specifically, it's really drug discovery that you're talking right. about. Right, so right. You know, th- there are all these great technologies that are reducing the cost of drug discovery. And, and that's fantastic. You know, I think that the, the sad thing is that as drug discovery becomes more efficient, drug development becomes less efficient. What I mean by that is, you know, about 10 years ago, the joke in our industry was that it costs a billion dollars to approve a drug. Yeah, now, circa 2021, it costs $2 billion to approve a single drug. So even though discovery is getting more efficient, unfortunately, drug development or tri- clinical trial execution in particular is not. That's only become more expensive, more laborious in the hands of, of most companies who engage in this unaligned model or misaligned model of drug development using a CRO. I don't see that it's going to improve anytime soon. So hence, our play is to make drug development more efficient to mimic what's happening in drug discovery, which is by leaps and bounds progressing and becoming more and more efficient.
1: So just for you know, my, my simple thought process, if you use an AI-driven drug discovery model and a tracon driven drug to market model by taking out the middleman cro um, Mm -hmm. it seems like this 2 billion could even be less than 20 million
0: yeah i think uh it could definitely be less than 2 billion you know i think what we've done so nicely with the the 20 million dollar price tag is we're leveraging all the drug discovery that our partner has done to move their program forward in china you know if, if you're going to include the drug discovery costs, you know, that will increase it to some degree. But to your point, even with drug discovery added to drug development, if they're both done efficiently, it will be much less than $2 billion. And that's where we need to go. If we can get there, everyone will benefit Uh, payers, patients, drug companies. I mean, for the same budget, you'll be able to develop twice or three times or maybe more than that drugs as you currently can do on the current budget.
1: Yeah, and, and much quicker to market. I mean, instead of whatever, was it eight years, 10 years? It sounded like it would be half
0: that. That's the other important thing. It's all about alignment and motivation. You know, if we are running a trial and we're paying for it with our own dime, and let's say it's not enrolling well, you know, we want to fix that problem. We want to potentially open more sites so that it starts enrolling on pace with our accrual projections. You know, if you're working with a CRO, frankly, whether the trial gets done next year or in 10 years doesn't really bother them because frankly, you'll pay them more if it takes 10 years than if it got done next year. So it's that misalignment that, that creates inefficiencies in the system, in our opinion.
1: Yeah. When you look at medicine or you know healthcare in general, there are so many misaligned models oh. that one person's expense is another person's basically income and, mm-hmm. uh, and why kill yourself because they're going to pay whether it takes one month or pay a lot more if it takes um, 12 months. So interesting. Hey, so congratulations on your new book. Uh, It's Unnecessary Expense, An Antidote to the Billion Dollar Drug Problem. So what prompted you, because I know how difficult writing the book is, uh, although it sounds like not that much is difficult for you, but what, what prompted you to do that?
0: You know, I think it was just looking at what's happening in our industry and the fact that it seems like more and more companies have become beholden to contract research organizations or CROs and in our view fall into the CRO trap. And and what it has in terms of negative consequences for the entire drug development ecosystem, that that, you know, if we could create alignment, it would benefit everybody. Um, You know, part of the TraCon product development platform is actually to improve technology to even run trials more efficiently. And we do that with technology vendors that we use for our trials. And then those vendors take the learnings from us, develop a better system of clinical trial execution that then can be contracted by another company outside tracon that might want to use that same system to do their own trials themselves. So I think part of it is make it a better world in terms of make drug development more efficient, make it a better ecosystem, get more drugs to market at lower cost. Yeah, I think the other thing we want to help people understand is is the global marketplace that, you know, there really is innovation outside the US that can be harnessed for US patients and then Paradoxically, if we approve the drug in the US for, for a patient population, say it was licensed from China, that approval package can then be taken all the way back to China and approve it there as well. So the, the whole dynamic comes full circle. So it has benefits globally in terms of, of our model. So I think it's trying to make people understand if you have an aligned model for drug development, it's gonna benefit the ecosystem, it'll benefit your company because you'll be able to move forward more quickly and at lower cost. And then understanding that there is a global marketplace and a global, if you will, playing field that that has now included innovative drug discovery throughout the world, that if you look at that, harness it, and we're focused on cancer, but in any other therapeutic area, you actually can facilitate drug approvals at at lower cost as well. it's, it's our it's our way of, of making sure people understand the benefits of our model, but also trying to make for a better ecosystem for all of us to to facilitate getting the drugs to patients as soon as possible, because there's still so many unmet needs for patients across multiple different disease types.
1: Now, do you see your, I guess, your, for lack of a better way, is that your competitors, the Pfizer's, the GSK's, the Roche's of the world embracing what you're doing, yeah. or do they look at you and go, you know, that might be great for Tracon, but we ain't ever going to do it?
0: It's a great, great question, John. You know, I I hope those companies will will, will kind of realize the pendulum may have swung too far over to the CRO-based model, because many years ago, those big pharma companies did do their own trials with their own team, and, you know, they thought that it was probably too expensive to maintain all those full-time employees and that it would be easier just to outsource to a CRO. You know, I'm hoping they read the book and realize that alignment means so much and there's so many hidden costs they may not be accounting for by outsourcing that maybe the pendulum will swing back into more in-house operations teams so i hope there's a a little bit of a pendulum switch i will also say john we have interacted with big pharma for instance our first key partner was johnson and johnson they recognized the value of our model and in that case for instance they uh, made an equity investment in tracon for us to run a, a phase one and phase two program of one of their discovered assets, which we did, and we were able to complete enrollment in those phase one and two trials collectively in just a three year period of time, which in our business is quite fast. So I will say pharma has recognized the value of our platform, which we hope they will continue to do. And then we also hope they'll start thinking about maybe internalizing some of their own operations in order to make the whole process a little more efficient.
1: So what do you think your process is going to do for orphan drugs? And I'll preface it by the person who started Sirius XM came up with an orphan drug that was kind of discarded and she did it because her son had a rare genetic disease. I'm sure you know the story. And the only reason why this drug came to market from what I can tell by learning about this is one, she had some wealth and two, she was like a dog with a bone. Is this going to revolutionize for those people who have these rare diseases for which no drugs are developed because what's, you know, what, what's the ROI on it? Well, this yeah. is, this sounds life changing to me.
0: You know, I, th- I think this really has great applicability, especially in rare diseases, because to the point we made earlier, if it's really going to cost $2 billion to approve a drug and you have a rare disease population, you, you can just think what the price tag would have to be for that drug to to make a return on investment. It would just be incredible and probably not sustainable. But if you can develop a drug for $20 million dollars, you don't have to have an incredible price tag on that drug, and it doesn't have to be sold to a ton of patients for a company to make a return on investment. So I think this has great applicability to rare diseases and orphan drug diseases. As an example, the drug we're developing in collaboration with our partners, 3D Medicines and AlphaMab Oncology called Envifolomab, is a checkpoint inhibitor that we're specifically developing for sarcoma patients. That's a very rare tumor type. And many companies may say, you know, sarcoma, not that many patients. If it's going to cost me $2 billion to approve the drug, I don't think I can ever make that kind of money up no matter how long the drug is sold. However, if you can approve that drug for $20 million and we're estimating initial sales annually or $200 million that could grow to a billion, that's a potential fantastic return on investment. And that's entirely enabled by what we're talking about doing in-house clinical trial execution and two, harnessing global innovation. So this is a, a great path forward for, for rare disease drugs to get them to market.
1: Wow. Um, so that, that's, that was my take of reading that, uh, reading that article about the FDA granting orphan drug designation. So I, you know, I came away with this exact same take. I said, wow, this really may be a light at the end of a long tunnel for a lot of folks who no one's rallying their cause. Um, okay. I'm going to switch subjects here a little bit. Sure. So I'm I'm seeing patients who are in their thirties and forties, unvaccinated, literally dying of COVID, much like it was eight months ago. And they look at me when I tell them I need to innovate them. And they're going to be like, why? I'm like, because you didn't get the vaccine. They said, well, you know, that was, a, that was not even approved. Give me, you're an expert. Give me some Response to tell people before they need to be innovated that this is safe because I'm clearly we're clearly failing on this one because yeah, there's a huge percentage, including some healthcare people, that just refuse to get the vaccine for I don't understand why. What you're an expert. What what can we tell them?
0: Yeah, that's a tough question, John. I, I think sometimes in, a, in in our country we, we we fail to understand kind of the, the nature of risk and. I guess the the best thing I could tell a patient that's really hesitant to get vaccinated is the side effects are so incredibly rare. And and even when they occur, the chance that they'll be serious are so incredibly low that you should think about your risk of of dying in a car accident being higher than your risk of having any significant complication from a vaccine. And and maybe try to put in a perspective that, that we all live with risk every single day of our lives. We, we don't quantitate it because we get used to it, right? But the risk of you having a significant reaction to a vaccine is lower than the risk of you having major issues from things you do every day, including, for instance, driving in a car. And maybe that will help put things in perspective so that people understand that the vaccine may not be approved, but just to gain an emergency use authorization from the FDA means it's been really well vetted. and given that now in our country, what is it, 100 million people have been vaccinated. You've got a pretty big denominator, and you know the numerator of serious side effects is incredibly tiny. And so it's one risk that you should be willing to take, given you've got many more high-risk activities you're doing every day you just don't, you just don't think about.
1: Yeah, that's, that is a great way to... Explain it, but you know, people say, "Well, this was developed so quickly, blah blah blah." And I said, yeah. "mRNA vaccines." I mean, I read the book about Professor uh, Dowden. MRI vaccines have been around for a while, or at least the concept has. This wasn't an overnight vaccine, but I people are so stuck on this. Hey, we had the disease; it started. All of a sudden, poof, we have a vaccine. How safe can that be? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I hear a lot.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a tough problem. I, I you know I think you know people are. Confused concerned about mRNA vaccines, because that's more of a newer concept. I mean, you know, in the U.S., fortunately, there's even more options than that. The J&J vaccine, for example, is more the older-fashioned technology that's, if you will, more proven, although I would argue the mRNA vaccines have, have proved their worth just in the past year yeah. since they've been available for COVID. But yeah, I think it's important to get, get some vaccine, and if you go J&J, that's fine with, with me, uh, but the risk of not getting vaccinated, especially today with the delta variant being as prevalent as it is, is is definitely not worth the the risk of a side effect which is so small that um, again it's it's judging those those risks and understanding that you're best served by being vaccinated to limit your risk.
1: So okay, well so on the vaccine target let me ask you kinda of one more question. Sure. Maybe vaccine and cancer clearly there's a role for Vaccines to prevent cancer what how's Treycon kind of addressing that
0: yeah, so cancer vaccines you know I, I think is a, is a fascinating concept you know the thought being that if you can harvest a, uh, some cells from a patient's cancer and then if you will reinject them in a state where the cancer can no longer grow, but those antigens or those those cancer proteins that make the cancer different from normal cells can be Derivatized such that they create an immune response that then would generally attack your cancer, you know, I think is a, a fantastic concept because what we're realizing is that, you know, certain patients, the immune system can be reactivated to attack the cancer in that patient. And those are patients we say have hot tumors. The, the body recognized that, that cancer is a foreign entity in the body and, and attacked it but other cancers are cold, the body just doesn't pick up on the fact that there's an abnormal growth going on and it needs help to recognize that it is abnormal. And that's where the cancer vaccines can be so helpful by turning a cold tumor hot. So we have, currently do not have a cancer vaccine program at TRACON, but we do have a checkpoint inhibitor program. And we are actually looking aggressively for new programs to add to our pipeline. And one of those could be a cancer vaccine to try to turn those cold tumors hot to then make them sensitive to a checkpoint inhibitor which is a drug we already have in our pipeline so big fan of cancer vaccines and definitely something we're interested in adding to our pipeline although right now we're focused just on the checkpoint inhibitor and Vifolumab.
1: excellent well this has been i think i learned more from this you know 40-minute discussion than i did in most of medical school related to cancer treatment so thank you very much this has been incredibly helpful and and enlightening so thank you for thank you for being on this podcast how can people get a hold of you and continue to follow what you're doing
0: no appreciate it john yeah so you know i'm ceo of tracon pharmaceuticals uh, welcome emails uh my email address c-t-h-e-u-e-r at traconpharma.com or if you go to the tracon Pharma website and hit the uh contact information you can send a general info email to us and we'll respond to you Uh, We always are interested in answering questions, and if you're interested in understanding how to streamline drug development, please do read our book, Unnecessary Expense, An Antidote to the Billion-Dollar Drug Problem, which is available on Amazon.
1: And one more question. If people want to invest in Tracon, how do they do that?
0: Well, Tracon's a public
1: company, so we are listed on NASDAQ. Perfect. That makes it easy. Well, congratulations for all your success, and thanks for doing what you're doing, because you're obviously changing literally thousands, if not millions of lives with Traycon and with all the work you're doing. So thank you very much. And thanks for being on the podcast.
0: John, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for your time. Our pleasure. Thanks for listening to Entrepreneur Rx with Dr. John Schufelt. To find out how to start a business and help secure your future, go to johnschufeltmd.com. This has been a presentation of Forbes Books.